Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Roxanne Lawler, Associate Pastor here at GBC, and we hope that you hear the invitation of God to join His mission in this message. This week, we conclude our summer series, Jesus and the Sydney Morning Herald, where we reflect on contemporary issues from the perspective of faith. In this message, Associate Pastor Matt Willis considers the challenges of the mental health pandemic we face. Good morning again, and to anyone who has joined us online, welcome. My name is Matt. I'm one of the Associate Pastors here. And as we said earlier in our service, we are wrapping up in our January series, Jesus and the Sydney Morning Herald an opportunity that we take each and every year to look at contemporary issues facing our world, our nation, our community, our neighbourhood, and consider how we might respond, how we might interact, how we might start the conversation from a perspective of faith. And as we've said, today we are unpacking a very complicated, a very deep-rooted issue facing our society, and that is mental health. Uh, Because the reality is, um, since before we had ever heard the word COVID, there has been an even greater pandemic occurring in our society, and it is mental health. It's something that does not discriminate. It does not matter whether you are rich or poor, white or black, male or female. Currently, the statistics show us that in Australia, one in every two almost 50% of our nation will experience a decline in their mental health at some point in their life. Mental health does not always look the same way. It is diverse, it is complicated, and it is varied. And so that means that sometimes it can be hard to identify. Sometimes the symptoms look different. Sometimes they are more severe, less severe. And mental health is something that is showing absolutely no sign in slowing down in its spread. And I think we can all agree that the past two years has definitely exacerbated the need to be talking about and responding to mental health. COVID has resulted in all of us feeling isolated, feeling uncertain about the future, and maybe even feeling a sense of hopelessness. COVID has not created mental health, but it has definitely exacerbated it. And so now, more than ever, we need to respond. We need to start to think about how we respond from a position of faith. And that's what I hope that we can start to do today. Um, But before I get into the message, there are three really key things that I want to say from the very outset. And the first is this. As Rock said, talking about mental health can be triggering. It can be triggering if you are someone in the midst of struggling with mental health. It can be triggering if you are someone who has historically struggled with mental health. And it can be triggering if you are someone who has a loved one, family or a friend struggling or who has struggled with mental health. So I want to encourage you today, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, to look after yourself, and to look after those around you. The second thing I want to say is that this message is not about giving out free therapeutic advice. I have studied psychology for four years. I've worked in the industry for 10. 
And there is no way that I could condense the complexity of this issue into a nice, soft, simple 20-minute message. So I'm not gonna try. This is about starting the conversation, which leads me to my third. We as a church community, we as a leadership, are committed to advocating for anyone who is or has struggled with mental ill health. And so if you need therapeutic support, we are committed to helping you find that. And that might be hope-filled, but if not there, then we will find somewhere for you to get the support that you need. Now we take a deep breath. And with that being said, I wanna take you back to 1998. I'm 10 years old and it's the school holidays which means my mum and dad are at work and I'm left home alone with my two older sisters, Beck and Kim. Now, being the youngest and the only boy, I had a role to play in my family dynamic, which I took very seriously, and I like to think that I executed with great accuracy. And that was to torment my sisters at all costs. Amen. And so on this particular day, what that looked like was me chasing my middle sister, Kim, around the house with one of her dolls, ready to lob it at her. I know, I was a sheer delight to be around. <laughs> now, something that you need to know about the Willis household is that my mom had a deep love, as weird as it was, for porcelain clown figurines. You can see where this story's going, right? As I close the gap between me and my sister, take aim and chuck this doll, my sister Kim, who is pretty used to my antics by this stage, knows well enough to dodge. And so she does. And in slow motion, I see as the doll hurdles, not towards just any porcelain clown, but the porcelain clown, my mum's absolute favourite. It connects, the clown falls, hits the tile floor and shatters into pieces. The commotion is enough to draw my siblings in and as the three of us stand in a circle over the crime scene before us, we each have three very different responses. Me, with clearly the most skin in the game, the one who's gonna cop it from mum when she gets home. I see several large chunks of the clown and I think, give me a glue gun and 20 minutes and I can fix this thing. I can make it look like, at least from the outside, that this thing is not broken. We can kind of put it back together well enough that it can pass as intact. My middle sister, Kim, the mediator and peace giver, the conflict avoider, just thinks, well, why don't we just hide the evidence? Let's just pretend that this clown never existed. What clown? Who's clowned? I don't know what clown. We'll stick our head in the sand, we'll never talk about it again, and we'll just pretend like it never happened. And then there was my older sister, Beck, the wisest of the Willis siblings, who knew very well what the right response was. It was to call mum, to talk about it, to have the conversation, to open up. And I think the reality is that regardless on what kind of situation you're facing, Anything that has tension, that is complicated, where emotions are involved, we can respond in any of those three ways, can't we? And sometimes we respond in different ones, depending on the situation. But regardless, we always know in our heart of hearts what the right response is, isn't it? It's to talk about it in case you didn't know. 
The right response is always to talk about it. But the issue is, is that so often there is complexity to the situation. There is tension in the situation. There is uncertainty and there is, unfear, and there is fear and those things force us into silence. And nothing is more true than when dealing with the issue of mental health and mental ill health. It is created around this tension because what exactly am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say it? And what if I say the wrong thing? And then that, that tension of the conversation that needs to be had around mental health is further complicated by social stigmas. We live in a society where strong negative emotions are seen as weakness. Men can't have any and women have too many and you should just exist in the middle ground. And so we stay clear of it. You add faith to this and it further complicates things because we are a people who claim to have hope. We are a people who claim to have peace. We are a people who claim to understand that there is a plan at play, restoring and renewing all things. And so how do we reconcile that with experiences of hopelessness, of turmoil and pain and anguish? So it's fair to say that this is a complicated conversation, but it's also fair to say that we all know what the right thing to do when responding to this issue is, and it is to talk about it. So church, those on site and online today, we're having a chat. And it is the beginning of a much bigger conversation. It is merely the starting point. This is not gonna be the moment where you go, this all makes sense. And you leave or log off and think, I've got it. This is merely just a starting point. And I hope that it can start to demystify and destigmatize mental health, but also start to deconstruct some of the misconceptions that we have around mental health and mental ill health. So to start, it seems that as we kind of construct and consider how we as followers of Jesus are meant to respond to this issue of mental ill health that is plaguing our world, it seems appropriate that the first place to look is exactly how does God respond to it. We believe that when God first created the world, He created us, all humanity, in His image. And one of the ways I see this reflected in my experience of humanity is the depth and breadth of our emotional experience. We follow a God who has emotions and He planted that in each and every one of us. And when we experience emotions, we are experiencing God, something that God created in us and that's something that God Himself has. But is that to say that the experience of mental ill health, of emotional distress is a part of God's plan? No, of course not. We also believe that when sin came into this world, it warped God's design. It took it and, and kind of threw it off axis a little bit. And so do we think that mental ill health is something that God dreamed up in His mind when He breathed life into this world? No, it is the result of, of this world being broken. It is the result of sin 
in this world, but it's important that we understand that although mental ill health is the result of a sinful world, an individual's experience of mental ill health is not the result of their sin. And I think we see that by looking at the numerous people within Scripture who experience emotional distress and pain and turmoil. I don't know if you have a favourite person in Scripture. It's a pretty Christian thing to do, I guess. I have a favourite person in Scripture, and it's King David. Partly because he's such a hot mess and he makes me feel really good about myself. But probably more importantly, because of the Psalms. These raw, real prayers, poems and songs where he just freely and unfiltering just lays it all out before God. He shares the very deepest hurt and pain and experience that he has and he pours it out before the Lord and, and just says it, just acknowledges it and he names it. I mean, if you've got your Bible with you, I mean, the Psalms are riddled with Psalms of lament. Dozens and dozens of Psalms like this. I chose Psalm 13. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Here is a man in the deepest, darkest moment of his emotional distress, emotional turmoil and anguish, and he calls it out to God. He does not pretend it's something different. He does not hide from it. He names it. And God hears it. And what is his response? Because I do not see rebuke. But what I see is a God who hears it. Hears it for what it is. Hears it for its honesty and its, its value. And demonstrates that value by placing it where? Back in his scripture. Through his Holy Spirit, God said, this is good and this is important. It's not good in the sense of oh, everyone should experience this, but it's good in its real and raw display. And God heard David and knew that humanity as a whole, both then and now needed to hear this, needed to know that God himself hears it, that even in our deepest pain, God is still there, not rebuking, not judging, not hiding from it, but hearing it. But he does more than just hear it, doesn't he? And we see that in the person of Jesus, a person who we believe is fully human and fully God. And in his experience of being fully human, it means that he experienced all that it is to be human, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here is a person who from the very moment that he was born was hunted, riddled with suspicion, mocked, the recipient of great injustice, betrayal and murder. I think it would be 
ignorant to say that he just floated on through, that none of it impacted him, that he never had a moment where it just weighed him down. And the reality is, is that the gospels demonstrate to us that it did. In Mark chapter 14, verses 34 to 35, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he knows what is before him, he's fearful. It speaks about how he takes the disciples and he, it says he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he takes a few steps and falls on the ground. Here is a man who is burdened and distressed and riddled with sorrow because of his experience of a broken world. God understands our pain. God understands emotional anguish because through the person of Jesus, he himself experienced it. He's not separated from it when he listens to us, when he listened to David. He has experienced it. He was within it. He felt the burden of it. And Jesus experienced it. And yet we know and believe that he is without sin. Otherwise, what he did on the cross was for naught. Jesus was without sin and yet experienced emotional anguish. And so when it comes to how does God respond to mental ill health, I believe that this teaches us that He hears our anguish. He understands our anguish, but at no point does He rebuke our anguish. And it's important that we understand that the experience of mental ill health albeit the result of a broken, sinful world, it is not the result of a person's sin. But there is still more tension in this conversation, isn't there? That's not the only thing that kind of complicates this conversation for us. And I think another key thing that kind of makes us fearful, makes us uncertain, makes us uncomfortable about talking about mental health is exactly how are we supposed to reconcile the fact that we have hope through faith in Jesus and yet still potentially experience hopelessness. We believe, yes, that Jesus in full humanity bore the burden of all the brokenness of this world, all of the sin, all of the hurt, all of the pain. He wore it on His shoulders and He took it to the cross. And when He died, it too died. And when He rose again, He rose victorious over all of it. It has no power. And we believe in that. We have faith in that. We have hope in that. And as a result, we participate in practices of hope. We pray to the God of hope for things that we need hope in. We turn to His Scripture, seeking understanding about a world that is broken so that we can have hope. We have faith because of our hope. And yet, for so many people, there is an experience of having hope and still being in the midst of pain. And it's important for us to understand that the two are not mutually exclusive. We can pray out of hope and those prayers can go unanswered. 
We can turn to Scripture, hopeful that it will teach us something about our circumstance and still be left confused. We can have faith in a God who has conquered the grave and who is restoring and renewing all things and still be in the midst of our despair because we are in the now, not yet. This paradox that we believe that Jesus has done everything, conquered everything, achieved everything, and that that is pointing to the restoration and renewal of all things. And yet, even though the victory has been won, we're not yet at the victory lap. We've not yet stepped into the fullness of that victory in its full fruition. We're in the now, not yet. We have hope and can have hope in what Jesus has done and what He is doing, but in the in-between, we still experience a broken world. And what that means is that, yes, we can still have hope in Jesus and still feel hopeless about our circumstance. One does not necessarily eradicate the other. Hope does not destroy hopelessness and hopelessness cannot necessarily destroy our hope. They can at times and do for many people exist at the same time. And so we need to understand the tension when it comes to mental health and mental ill health, that someone can have faith Faith in the hope that Jesus gives us and yet still be riddled with depression and anxiety and uncertainty, anguish and pain. This is just some of the tension that we sit in as followers of Jesus while we still deal with the complexity of mental health. And so I want to go back to that first response that we all know we need to have, but sometimes we struggle with. How do we be a community who are willing to talk about it? How do we be a community who are willing to step into the conversation about mental health? Because church, it is not about gluing people back together so that they can be seen as fixed It is not about fixing the situation, saying, well, if you do A and B, then C will happen. It is not about fixing people enough so that they can pass as whole. But equally, it is not about hiding from this. It is not about pretending that everyone's okay, putting on our Sunday best and just playing the part, ignoring what's happening underneath. We have to talk about it. And for us, stepping into that conversation, the first thing that we need to do as followers of Jesus, as we seek to respond to mental health, whether that is on a communal level or an individual level, for us, it starts with listening. Because God first listened to David we too need to listen to the stories and the experiences and the perspectives of those who are within emotional 
distress, who are experiencing emotional ill health, who have experienced emotional, emotional ill health, who know someone who has experienced emotional ill health. We need to listen to that story. Because when we listen, that's when we best understand. That's when we can understand the journey that someone has been on, that this community has been on. And when we understand, we can empathise. When we are able to understand someone's experience, we can then step into their experience, step into their, their pain. And when someone does that, when those who are experiencing emotional distress no longer feel alone in their pain, then that creates safety for them. That creates a space where they can dare to hope again, to hope in something more, to hope in the Jesus who is doing more, to share in the hope that we as followers of Jesus say we have. And so church, as we begin to listen, we do so as beacons of that hope so that maybe we can shine so bright so that our hope can overflow in such an extent that when we listen and understand and empathise and step into someone's pain, that our hope can overflow so that even in their most darkest time and space, they can see a light. That is our response. That is where we need to start. And that's how we can best reflect the hope that we have in Jesus to those who want it, who need it, who might have it, but are confused by it. And that is where healing can really begin. And that is where our conversation needs to start. Amen. I'm gonna pray for us um, and the band are gonna come and lead us in a time of worship as we kind of grapple with this conversation. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, Father, we praise you. We praise you that you are a God who listens. You are a God who hears. You're, you are a God who understands our pain and our turmoil and our anguish. You do not abandon us in that. You do not rebuke us in that, Lord. But you do give us hope. And Lord, I pray that we can take hold of that hope, even in moments of hopelessness. I hope that we can be living examples of that hope to those who we know who need it. And I pray, Lord, that that hope can help us step into the conversation, step into the space, so that people who struggle with mental ill health, those in our community, those in our neighbourhood, those in our society, Lord, that they can see that you see them, that they can hear that you hear them and that they can understand that you understand their pain. And Lord, that even in the smallest measurement, that that can give them hope for what's more to come. Amen. 
As people of hope, we cannot ignore the problems posed by mental health in our society. In fact, our faith allows us to act as people of hope in the face of the challenges of mental health. Let us be a lighthouse in the dark, guiding people to Jesus and the hope he brings, without denying the darkness, without suggesting that we shouldn't experience it. Let us listen with empathy and hope. Don't forget to join us for the Big Three podcast, a weekly podcast that unpacks three big questions raised by the sermon. This is another way that we seek to put our faith into practice. Matt, Jess and I will be sitting down this week for the Big Three. Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. If you'd like to join us for one of our Sunday services, you can do so by logging on to www.gbconline.org.au at 9.30 each Sunday.